Good morning, everybody. Jordan's going to join me this morning, uh, and he's going to help me with an illustrated sermon. So would you welcome Jordan? Yeah. How many of you are like me? You have learned that there's really only one good way to cook a steak, right? Actually, there's two. There's many, but um, the microwave is not one, right? So this morning, um, we're going to talk about prayer and fasting, And I want to use an illustrated sermon to do that, and so Jordan's going to help me, and hopefully the fire sprinklers won't turn on on us. Actually, there aren't any sprinklers, so that's just a joke. Um, But um, Jordan has two different steaks here. He's got one that's plain that he's going to put in a microwave, and he has another one that's marinated in one of my favorite marinades called soy which is a teriyaki marinade, and it's delicious. And um, he's going to cook these two steaks for us. And then, uh, unfortunately, I think I might need a couple volunteers later to help me try them and eat them. So if you're thinking, okay, Josh is one, I'll need two others. So um, if you're thinking uh, that would be me, I'd I'd love to join in on that illustrated sermon. Uh, Jordan is going to help us with that later. So Jordan's going to just kind of all the smells are going to be in here. Uh, all, everything, it's just going to all, it's going to be good, right? And it's going, to, it's going to help us think about some things. Because as you know, I don't do anything on accident. Um, the point of marinating, and the reason that I love a steak that's marinated, or a good tri-tip roast or something like that, is because that, the flavor of that marinade gets all the way to the center of that steak with that piece of meat. And so every single part of that steak or that meat has been completely just enveloped and penetrated by that marinade. And it's gone all the way to the center of that piece of meat. But marinating takes time. Takes time. And how many of us feel like we don't have time and we just want to throw a steak on the barbecue really quick? And that's great. I mean, you'll have a halfway decent piece of meat. It's not a quick method. Marinating is not a quick method. It takes patience. You got to think ahead. You got to plan. You got to figure out how am I going to take care of this meat? What am I going to do to make sure this ends up to be a good meal for my family? And Jordan's going to help us discover whether marinating something or microwaving something is better. Now, the illustration reminds me of prayer and fasting. Because we can pray really fast, like a microwave, or we can give the Lord our time in prayer and get a completely different result as a result of giving God more of our time. Same is true with the steak. Give it some more time, it's going to turn out better, right? Now, did you know that we are communicating something to God based on the way that we pray and fast? We are communicating something to him about our relationship, about what we think about God, about what we think about our relationship with God, about how we're going to be in relationship with him, about what we believe and about what we think. Let me explain. The way 
we pray and fast communicates what kind of relationship we want with God. Now, my hope for all of us in this room and actually for every believer around the world is that we would love being in God's presence. That we would discover that nothing on this planet will ever satisfy us better than the longing of being in God's presence, being with our heavenly Father, our Savior Jesus, and the indwelling Holy Spirit that is with us each moment of the day. The way that we pray and fast will communicate what kind of relationship we want with God. Let me explain a little more. If we don't pray, or pray really fast, or for a short amount of time, then we are communicating that we want a fairly shallow relationship with God. Now, don't get me wrong. God appreciates any time that we can give him, and he can do a lot with a little, amen? Like We know that. But when we don't give God much of our time, then our prayers will only be on the surface. They won't go very deep. Not because we maybe don't even want to go very deep, but because we simply just don't have time to go very deep. And it takes time to go deep, doesn't it? If you've ever been to a counselor, then you know that you need time with that counselor to get deep, to go deep, to work on some healing down deep. And it just, it just takes time. But sometimes we just want to say a quick prayer and move on with our day and say that we check the prayer box. We check the box on our prayer journal. Those are microwave prayers. They're McDonald's prayers. We want to say something in a speaker, and we're hoping that it's answered by the time we get to the window. Everybody prayed like that before? I have. If someone asked you out on a date, and you said to them, sure, I'll go out with you. I've got 15 minutes on Friday at 6 o'clock. And they'd be like, what? I said, I've got 15 minutes on Friday at six o'clock. You'd be like, well, we can't even go out to eat in 15 minutes. We can't even walk around the park downtown in 15 minutes. What are you talking about? That's all I can give you. 15 minutes, Friday night at six o'clock. Take it or leave it. Oh, okay, okay, I, I guess I'll take it. Now that's great. You take the 15 minutes and maybe you take a couple more 15 minutes over the next month. But what do we all know is really gonna happen? That relationship's not going very far. It's not going very deep because I'm only giving that person a very small amount of time. Same is true with God. But I will say this. If all you can give God is 15 minutes a week, give him the best 15 minutes you can. If that's all you can give him is 15 minutes a week, give him 15 minutes a week. But I'll say this. Be prepared to want more. Because <laughs> once you get in his presence and he starts to touch your heart, and he starts to touch your mind, you'll want more. Now, if we pray only to tell God what we need or what we want, then we have a very selfish relationship with God. These prayers are like genie in a bottle prayers. We want to rub God's lamp. We want him to pop out. We want him to give, we want him to give us our three wishes, and then we want it to be quick because we know what our wishes are. And then uh, we want to move on with the day and live out the wishes that God made for us. Now, um, I'm going to tell you that God doesn't do that. God's not like that. He doesn't give us three wishes, and he doesn't do things that we expect. 
and he rarely does what I want. Has anybody else discovered that? God's also not my sugar daddy. He's the creator of the universe. He's the all-powerful, holy, sovereign God who loves us, and he doesn't succumb to being a vending machine. So we should bring our heart to God before we bring our list to God. But the good thing is, God loves our list. He just wants our heart too. If we pray only to repent of our sins, then our mind is primarily thinking of God as our judge. God's going to judge me, so I better go repent quickly. Now, it's not wrong to repent when we pray, right? Like, we all know that. That's obvious, and it's extremely important for us to repent when we pray. But if that's the only reason I'm going to pray, if that's what I think is the most important thing in my prayer life, this isn't the kind of relationship our Heavenly Father wants. When we only talk to God to tell Him what we've done wrong or to ask for forgiveness, then we always see God as, as this judge who's, who's going to punish us if we don't do the right thing. He's going to squash us if we don't do the right thing. And that's not the kind of relationship that God wants with us. Now, is he the judge? Yes. Is he going to judge mankind and us as well? Yes. But that's not the primary way that we have relationship with him. This view of God is also exhausting. It's exhausting to try to live for a God that you feel like is always going to squash you. And if you aren't perfect to the T every single moment of every single day, then he's mad at you. I want to tell you something. Jesus didn't die on the cross for that kind of relationship. That's not why he left heaven and came to earth. He already had that kind of relationship in the Old Testament. (laughs) He wanted a better one. He wanted one that was more vibrant. And our relationship with God, it's not a tally system. If we do something good, we don't get a gold star in heaven. There's not a poster board in heaven with your name on it. And every time you do something good, you get a gold star, there's like an angel, oh, hey, go give Kate a gold star. She said something nice to Mark about the 49ers. <laughs> Jesus died on the cross so we would see how much he loves us, so that we could be free from our brokenness, not so that we could live in this tyranny of who God is. See, in Christ, we live in the love of God and the forgiveness that he brings and the freedom that comes, not stress. So we we can't look at God like a judge all the time. Now, if we give God regular time in prayer, then the results will be a deeper relationship with God. How many of you know that any relationship that is high in communication, that that relationship will be better, more healthy? When you communicate about every single part of your relationships, whether that's your spouse or a best friend or uh, a coworker or someone in your family, when there's good communication, you have a healthier relationship. And every single thing that you communicate about becomes healthier. If you talk about your finances all the time, your finances will be healthier. If you talk about the way you're parenting your kids all the time, that area of your life will be, will be healthier. Now, I hope that you have a relationship where you tell God everything about your life. You just tell him everything. You bear your soul to God, knowing that he can heal the deepest hurts in your heart. That you tell God what you're thinking 
about every situation in your life, that you tell him what you need help with, that you share your emotions with God, cry with him, laugh with him, get angry, feel joy, give him your stress and feel his peace. This takes time, by the way. You can't do this in two or three minutes. It takes time to sit in a chair, to be in your prayer closet, to find a quiet place to be with God. It takes time to cry and laugh with him and get angry and feel joy and give your stress to him. That takes some time. But giving God regular time in prayer means everything is open to him. Everything is open to the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. See, giving God time is like marinating a steak. You've taken the time to marinate that steak. You've taken the time to make that a good piece of meat. You want God, at least I hope you do, we want God to touch us all the way to the center. At the core of our soul, we need his touch. Every single area of my heart needs his touch. Every single thought in my mind needs his touch. And when we give him time, the sovereign and powerful work of God in our life does something amazing from the inside out. Now, there's another way that we can give God time. The Bible talks about this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And it's, it's this idea that if we pray all throughout the day, then we want the Holy Spirit's presence to lead us all day. One of the shortest ver Bible verses in the Bible, the shortest verse in the Bible is 1 Thessalonians 5.17. And it simply says this, pray continually. The only other shortest verse is Jesus wept. That's it. They're the two shortest verses in all of scripture. Jesus wept, for you and me, by the way. And the second one is this, pray continually. Now let's break this down, because this could be confusing. Let's break this down, because this could be confusing. Thank you. I got a couple courtesy laughs, finally. <laughs> what does this mean? I mean, it's pretty simple, isn't it? It means you just talk to the Holy Spirit all throughout your day. See, praying continually means you invite God into your life all day long. It's kind of like this. Imagine you have a day off and you invite your best friend to go with you on your day off and the best friend's like, what are we doing? I don't know. We're just spending all day together. Is anybody during that time gonna never talk to your best friend? I mean, you get in the car, Zero conversation all the way to the mall or Cabela's, whichever. <laughs> right? No conversation. You walk around the store the whole time, no conversation. You go out to lunch, no conversation. Like, that's not happening, is it? That's not happening. You're going to talk and laugh and maybe cry in the car and do all kinds of fun things. You're going to make decisions together throughout the day. Where would you like to go to lunch? I don't know. Where would you like to go to lunch? I don't know. Don't do that with God, by the way. He might just run your car right off the road. 
But it means that you literally, you just pray continually. See, praying continually is like a good marinated steak. You just have God with you and in you and working for you all throughout the day. See, the way we pray and fast communicates what kind of relationship we want with God. And our spiritual habits in prayer have the ability to make our relationship with God great. That's why we need to think about how we're praying and fasting and letting God be in the middle of that. I think we're ready, aren't we? We've got four plates now. All right, Josh, you're up. Get us started. Who else? Three more people. First, to, first three to the front. Well, come on up. Nobody else is coming. One more. Steak in the morning, people. Come on. I did not realize everyone in this church was a vegetarian. Wow, there we go. Okay. All right, dig in. Let us know what's better. Okay, take, somebody take a bite. I want you to tell me what's better, marinated or microwaved. Is that all? He's like, this is awful. <laughs> you don't even have to take another bite of that one if you don't want to. <laughs> Yeah, it's still steak. It's still steak. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's good. It's pretty plain. Plain, yeah. Yeah, it's plain. It's like baby food. Oh, that's good. I like. It's that's how bland it is. Okay, that's good. So if I'm a baby Christian, I pray short prayers. I was just applying. I didn't. I I don't know. That's what I thought he was saying. Marinade much better. Much better. Yeah. Yeah. At soy bay. Yeah, he's like, what is that? <laughs> what is that? Okay, you guys keep it up. You can, you can take that to your, to your place and eat, or you can eat right there. You guys, that's all for you. That is really good. That's really good. Is that good? Oh, yeah, that's yeah, good. good. All right, thanks. Whew, I don't know about you, but this barbecue is making me hot. Oh, man. I just... There is something about the heat coming over here that is just, I don't know. Oh, maybe it's the heat of this shirt that's got me off. You can run. <laughs> uh, I had a teacher that used to say this, you can run with the big dog for one half, but can you for two? Throughout God's word, you will notice several things that affect our prayer life. These are ways that we choose to live that will affect our intimacy with God and therefore will affect our prayer life. These are things that you and I do in our life that affect our prayer closet. So I'm not talking about the time when you are with God, when you're actually sitting in a chair and you've got your Bible open and you're praying and you're talking to God and you're with him and you're in his presence, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about other things outside of that moment that affect our prayer life. 
And I want to show you a couple things in God's word that do that. And in particular, if we don't pay attention to these things, no matter how much we do going into God's presence, it will be hindered. The first thing that you can find in God's word that affects our prayer life is our obedience. Our obedience to God's word and to the Holy Spirit will affect what happens when we are in God's presence. James chapter 5, verse 16 says it like this. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now notice with me something that is very important here. James uses a descriptive word, an adjective, about the person who has a prayer life that is powerful and effective. How many of you want a powerful and effective prayer life? I do. But if that's true, if I'm going to have a powerful and effective prayer life, then I must do something before that. I must be righteous. Righteous. Now, it's a simple word. It simply means this, living right. That's all it means. It means I'm living right. I'm living out the right and true principles of God's word in my life. So James makes the statement that our prayers are connected and affected by the way that we live with God. Our obedience affects our prayers. Now, another place that we see this is in almost every single major and minor prophet book in the Old Testament. Almost every single one the prophet has written and the prophet is actually prophesying to the Jewish people because of their disobedience. <laughs> and that their disobedience was affecting the presence of God in their culture and in their personal life. Let me give you an example of this. Isaiah and Jeremiah are the biggest ones. They, they talk about it constantly because they are actually prophetically giving the prophecies about the Babylonians that are going to come and destroy all of Judah and Jerusalem because they will not stop, the people of God will not stop being disobedient. And God's given them about 800 years to work it out, and they, and they have it. But Jeremiah in particular, I want to share with you one of the things that Jeremiah says about this in Jeremiah chapter 7. So look at it. Look at it on the screen with me because I'm going to bounce around a little bit in the chapter and it's going to be hard to follow along unless you just want to jump there. I'll tell you where I'm going. If you want to turn in your Bible there, you can. But in Jeremiah chapter 7, I'm going to look at this section 9 through 24 and I'm going to bounce around in it. Here's what he says in, in verse 9. And this is God talking. So just, just hear God saying this to his people that he's rescued from Egypt and he's taken care of now for about 800 years. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things? Has this house which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. Now, Jeremiah is describing the way the people were living with God. They were living these disobedient lives. They were murdering. They were having adultery. So there was sexual sin everywhere. There was perjury, which is lying. They were worshiping false gods. And then they were coming to the temple expecting God to be all cool with that. And God says, I ain't cool with that at all. 
That hypocrisy, that double standard, I, I'm, I don't want that in my people at all. Now, did verse 11 sound familiar to anyone at all? Verse 11. This is exactly what Jesus said about the Pharisees when he cleansed the temple another 800 years later. In Luke 19, 46, remember Jesus said this, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Bounce down to verse 13. God continues. While you were doing all these things, declares the Lord, I spoke to you again and again, but you did not listen. I called you, but you did not answer. Verse 16. So do not pray for this people nor offer any plea or petition for them. Do not plead with me, for I will not listen to you. 23 and 24. But I give them this command. Obey me, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. Walk in obedience to all I command you, that it may go well with you. But they did not listen or pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubborn inclinations of their evil hearts. They went backward and not forward. Now, is obedience a big deal to God? I think so. Now, I think we're, let, let's not lie to ourselves here. All of us have a little stubborn inclination of our heart, don't we? We just all do. It's part of our humanity. But I'll tell you this, we gotta learn to get rid of it, Right? I mean, until the day we go to heaven, we're going to be getting rid of, of stubborn inclinations of our heart. But let's start now to get rid of as much as we can so we can be in the presence of our God right now. Amen? The word is clear that our obedience to the Lord affects our prayers. In fact, some, sometime if we get so disobedient, God just says, I'm not listening to you anymore. Because you, you, you treat me so poorly. Have you ever had a friend that treated you so bad you just finally said, you can't be my friend anymore? That's exactly what God is saying. You treat me so bad every single day, all day long, all throughout the day, I'm not listening to you anymore. Until you want to fix your stuff, until you want to get your stuff right with me, I'm ready, I'm here, I'll be listening. But until you get yourself right and you start apologizing and asking for forgiveness for all the things that you do that you, that you try to make up for yourself, I, I, I'm, I'm not listening. That's a big deal. Now, the second thing I've noticed that affects our prayer life is staying connected to Jesus. The more we stay connected to Jesus, the better our prayer life is. Now, jo Jesus talked about this in John chapter 15, but in particular, John chapter 14, all the way through John chapter 17, is this long sermon, this long teaching, and, and chapter 17 is a long prayer that Jesus prays for his disciples and actually for us today too. But here's what's interesting. In this whole section, Jesus is talking about how to stay connected to him. And he uses an illustrated sermon throughout the message. And it, in particular, it's most vividly seen in John chapter 15. And I'm just going to take verses 5 through 7, where Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, stay connected to me, if you remain in me and I in you, 
you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. And then verse 7. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. What? Rub the lamp? Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. That's interesting. See, Jesus wants us to stay connected to him, like branches that are connected to vines. When the branch is connected to the vine, it's healthy. It has fruit on it. It's receiving life from the vine. So let me ask you a question. Are you receiving everything you need in this life from Jesus? Is he your source? Is he the source of your life? Are you connected to Jesus in every way possible? Do you trust him? Do you believe in him? See, Jesus talks about a connection with him that is powerful. And when we are connected to Jesus in every single possible way, then the things that we ask for, Jesus said, will be done. Now, we got to bring some balance to that statement, right? Because that means that you and I have to be connected to Jesus in an incredibly powerful way to get what's done for us, right? When we are really connected to Jesus, then you're going to know his will for every situation in your life, much deeper than you ever have before. And things in your life will have to change if you are connected to Jesus. See, what we think is important will change. How we view the world will change. How we treat people around us will change. Our philosophy and our thinking about every subject will change. About creation, marriage, relationships, time, money, parenting, Sexuality, love, serving, driving, driving, <laughs> technology, evangelism. Your, your thinking will change about social media. Social media. Did I say social media? I, I couldn't. What you think about God's word, how we manage this, manage the resources of our planet, every word we use, sports, art, science, history, language, church, community, all of it will change. Now, all these things and everything else will find its purpose and its value through our relationship with Jesus, not through our own lens. That's what it means to be connected to Jesus. What's the depth of your connectedness? I know for me, I could probably work on some things. And I probably will have to work on a lot of things 
until I just get everything I wish for answered in prayer. Because how many of you are like me? I pray for me. I pray for what I want. I pray for what I see. I pray for what I hear from other people. But have I literally, like Jesus would do with the Father, downloading exactly what Jesus is telling me, and then that's what I pray. That's a different prayer life, isn't it? That's a different way to pray. It's a different way to go about life because I'm so connected to Jesus. It's, my life's not even about me anymore because there's, there's nothing in me that glorifies the Lord. I have to get rid of me more because the mark in me is not so great. Jesus says the way we are connected to him affects our prayers. I think the things that we pray for would radically change when we are connected to Jesus in this way. Radically change. Now let me just take a quick rabbit trail. In this section, in this long message that Jesus gives from 14 to 17. In chapter 14, or let me start at 15. Chapter 15, verse 10, Jesus said, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. In John 14, 23, Jesus said, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. John 14, 15, he said, if you love me, keep my commands. I just want to point out that Jesus, Jesus talks about obedience and connection to him together. These two things are together in our relationship with him. Walking closely with him means obeying his word. Now, the third thing that affects our prayer is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Last week, we looked at Matthew chapter 6. And we looked at that section where Jesus talked about prayer and he talked about fasting, and he talked about the Lord's Prayer, which we all love. Great section of Scripture. But there's two verses right in the middle of this section that look like they're out of place. They're like, what, what's going on there? Why did he just throw those two verses right there in the middle of this chapter, this, this section, this teaching about prayer and fasting and talking to God and prayer and all this stuff? And then he just throws in these two crazy verses about forgiveness right in the middle of this passage. Why, why did Jesus do this? Well, let me read the verses and then we'll talk about it. Matthew 6, verses 14 to 15, Jesus said this. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now turn to your neighbor and say, I'm not sure I like what Jesus just said. Go ahead. And let me show us something important. Sometimes the placement of a verse is as important as the context or the grammatical interpretation or the systematic theology that is weaving through the chapter. Sometimes the placement of a verse is as important as what's going on around it. This is the case here. In this case, right in the middle 
of teaching about prayer and fasting, Jesus inserts this concept about forgiveness. And basically what Jesus is saying is this, because this was happening in the culture. If you come to me and pray, or you make a big deal about fasting, but you're a racist, you don't even forgive any of the races that live in your culture, forget it. Your prayer and your fasting, it doesn't mean anything. But this is what the Jewish culture was doing, right? And they were, they were horrible at forgiving each other. They would hold grudges forever. Never forgive. Hated everyone. That's why throughout Scripture, God is always trying to connect Jew and Gentile. Why? Because the Jews hated the Gentiles so much. They were so unforgiving and hateful towards anybody else that was not Jewish. And so Jesus is making a point here. You think your prayer and your fasting does anything for me when you literally hate everybody that isn't like you or offends you? Nope, not listening. That's pretty serious. That's huge. Jesus is making a big deal about this. See, Jesus is saying that the degree in which you choose to forgive will affect your prayer and your fasting. Now, if we choose not to forgive people, then when we sin or someone hurts us, it affects the forgiveness that God has towards us. Now, the interesting thing here is Jesus is talking about the primary individual that we are supposed to forgive that has hurt us, that has sinned against us. So Jesus is making reference to the moments in our life when people have hurt us. They've said something rude. They've stolen your money. They've abused you. And they say very tough things. Now, this is a hard teaching. But Jesus' standard is nonetheless communicated here. This is the standard for his people. Now, we must remember, every single thing you and I have ever done, he wiped clean everything. Every rude word we have ever said to anyone, Jesus forgave. Every single thing we have ever done to steal or abuse or hurt or shame or make fun of or just maybe someone in the room has murdered someone. I don't know. Whatever it is, Jesus forgave it. This is the radical grace and amazing forgiveness that Jesus calls his people to live by. Why? Because if we don't live this way, then people don't see the love of Jesus. They just don't. If we're the people that say, you know what? Uh, I'm a Christian, but there's still people that I hate. I'm a Christian, but there's people I don't forgive. And then we go to them and say, you know what? Jesus died on the cross to forgive your sins. Anybody see a conflict there? There's a conflict. There's an immediate conflict based on our hypocrisy. That because we won't forgive and we're supposed to be the representation of Jesus, and now we tell somebody about the forgiveness of Christ and they're like, well, wait a second. You hate the person in the cubicle next to us at work. How's that work? Am I, and I'm supposed to be like you? 
That's how this is supposed to work. I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. See, the radical forgiveness of Jesus is supposed to completely change us. It's supposed to change our ability to love the world around us. This is where prayer comes in. You and I need to get marinated by Jesus. If, if, I don't, if Mark's heart does not get marinated by Jesus, I'll just continue to hate. Anybody else in the room like, like me? That's just true. It's just true. I'll just be like me. I'll act like a Christian and I'll be like me. And I'll probably even use my pastoral covering to make some sort of excuse about why I can hate somebody. That's why you and I need to be in the presence of God. Because radical forgiveness will change our heart, change our thinking, change our ability to love the world around us. And this kind of love that only Jesus can give us can change the relationships in our life and it can change the world. Here's the point. Any unforgiveness that we allow to be resident in our heart will affect being in the presence and regular communication that we attempt to have with a holy Savior and a holy God. So we must forgive. The last thing, maybe we need a breath there. The last thing that affects our prayer is the devil himself. Sometimes the devil just affects your prayer. Let me give you an example because I think this is important for us to understand so that we can have a healthy understanding of, of prayer, especially answers to prayer. In Daniel chapter 10, Daniel is praying, and he's been praying for a couple chapters, and he's praying some big prayers. And in verses 12 through 14, something interesting happens about his prayer. Listen to this moment. It's an angel talking to Daniel, by the way. He says, then he said, don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer. Now, let me stop there. When did Daniel's prayer get answered? the day he prayed it. Okay? Now follow me. Verse 13. But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me. And I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now, I am here to explain what will happen to your people in the future, for this vision concerns a time yet to come. Now, let me point out what's going on here, because it's pretty awesome. Now, these verses make it fairly clear that there are times when our prayer has been answered the moment that we pray it, but the second that the answer that, the answer that, that angel has leaves heaven, a spiritual battle ensues. Now here's what you need to know. 
There's not many angels more powerful than Michael. And he had to be called. Ah, man, I'm in trouble here. I've been fighting for 21 days and I need a can of whoop. Where's Michael at? Michael! Oh, devil, here he comes. He's gonna whoop you now. But here's what's interesting. Did you notice what happened? Michael's still fighting. Did you catch that? Now there's enough that happens in this battle. Michael is left there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. He's still fighting in the spiritual realm. He's still fighting for your prayer, for Daniel's prayer. But he's strong enough and he's powerful enough that the angel who was supposed to bring the prayer to Daniel could get away and come bring the answer to Daniel. Now, why do I point that out? Because there are times that you and I get super impatient that our prayers are not being answered. Anybody else get impatient like I do? And I need to remember that, there are, that the reason sometimes the prayer is not answered, sometimes the prayer doesn't get answered because I'm not connected to Jesus very well and it's just a selfish prayer. The answer is no. Sometimes the prayer is, the answer is no because God is wiser than, than us and he just, the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is yes. But sometimes what we've asked for is such a big deal, like Jesus, I pray for the salvation of my neighbor. That's such a big deal that, that Satan says, nope, we're fighting over that one. I'm going to battle over that one. Jesus, I need breakthrough in my life from an addiction. No, you ain't getting that that easy. Whatever angel's coming to give you your breakthrough, he, he, there's going to be a fight. And you might have to call Michael to get rid of that brokenness. See, there are prayers that you and I pray that are so big, that are so awesome, that are so radical, that a spiritual battle ensues in the spiritual realm as a result of that prayer. But I wonder... How many times an angel was dispatched for me with an answer? But over the next 21 days, all I could do was complain and moan and whine. And God finally said, just come on back. This, I mean, let's try again in a week. See, we need to remember sometimes this is not about God saying no. God's not just saying no. Even though if God says no, it's his prerogative and we need to live in his will, amen? But sometimes it's just a spiritual battle. Sometimes what you've been praying, God wants to answer, but there will be a spiritual battle and sometimes it'll take 21 days. Sometimes in scripture it takes 21 years. Sometimes it takes 21 centuries. See, prayer is powerful. It's extremely powerful. And we should never for one second in our life take lightly that you and I get to go sit in the presence of a holy God whenever we want and get marinated by his presence. Prayer helped Moses lead the people in the desert. Prayer prepared Joshua to take the Israelites into the promised land. Prayer helped Daniel interpret dreams and saved him from hungry lions. Prayer helped Mary give birth to Jesus, God himself with us, and raise a perfect child. You think it was easy? Okay, it was. 
prayer helped Jesus teach his disciples, feed 5,000, calm a storm in the middle of a lake, and die on a cross for you and me. Prayer helped Peter escape from jail. From jail. And Peter and prayer right now is helping you and I live for Jesus in our day, 2023. With all of the complexity, with all of the evil, with all of the challenges that you and I have as we stay connected to Jesus in prayer, it becomes powerful. Our first prayer of salvation was extremely powerful as it saved our soul for eternity and gave us new life in Christ. Prayer in the name of Jesus can heal us physically. Prayer for provision can send exactly what we need from the throne of God at exactly the right time that we need it. Prayer in the time of despair can lift our spirits and give us much needed hope. Prayer is powerful. Would you stand with me? Would you just, I just want to take a moment with the Lord here. And would you just close your eyes and just take a deep breath and let it out. And I just want to ask you a question. Just one, it applies to all of us. Whether you know Jesus or not, it applies. Do you want Jesus and the Holy Spirit's presence to be in your life all the way to the center of it? Yes or no? You get to answer that all by yourself right where you're at. Yes or no? Jesus, I want all of you. I want you all the way to the core of me. Jesus, that's what we asked for this morning. We want you to marinate our life. We want your healing to touch the deepest recesses of our soul. Jesus, we need your peace to touch our mind and cure all of our thinking. We want your love to penetrate all the way to the center of our heart until there's no hate left, no unforgiveness left. In fact, there's nothing of us left except you. The love, the grace, the truth, the joy, the peace, patience and kindness of Jesus healing everything to the center of our life to the very core of our being that's what we need Jesus we live in a really challenging time and we need you we need every bit of you would you help us to stay obedient to you, to stay connected to you, to do the really, really hard work of forgiving those that have hurt us, 
And would you help us to know how to fight in the spiritual realm against the enemy of our soul? Jesus, we thank you and we praise you for this time this morning. As we leave this place, would you help us to know what it, how important prayer is, how important fasting is. The next 14 days of prayer and fasting, they're not just regular days, not just ordinary days on the 2023 calendar. These are monumental days. They're huge. I'm talking to the creator of the universe, the sovereign God of everything. I'm sacrificing something for him because I love him. Jesus, would these next 14 days as we pray and fast change our life forever? May you break the things in us that need to be broken. May you heal the things in us that need to be healed. May your presence overwhelm us daily. Lord, that can happen as we go about our regular day, just wherever we work. We pray for your presence and your power to be with us in a significant way. If this is a way that you desire to live, I'm just going to ask you to say amen to that. Thanks for being here this morning. I recognize that this was a tough word, and I hope as you go that um, you remember that Jesus loves you very much, and so do Kate and I. Have a great week. <laughs>